welcome to Dare to be Seen, brought to you by Alyssa Vulpez Productions and EDN Publishing. Join our hosts, Alyssa DiNapoli, aka Alyssa Vulpez, author, artist coach, hypnotherapist, singer-songwriter, and drummer, as she engages in down-to-earth, insightful, and inspiring conversations with female indie singer-songwriters around a virtual campfire. We shall discuss the lessons, songs, and personal stories of women who dare to be seen, scratching beneath the surface to give you an insider look into what makes their chosen career sometimes challenging and yet always inescapably compelling. So let's get the show started. Welcome to another episode of Dare to be Seen. I'm your host, Elisa Di Napoli, a.k.a. Elisa Vulpes, and today's episode features Humbird. Combining a wintry longing with the warmth of a familiar folktale, Humbird stretches between experimental folk and environmental Americana to embrace the unexpected. This music invites a refreshing dissonance into the house. It leaves breadcrumbs along the path and reflects light back at the stars. Humbert's debut album, Pharmacon, released in August 2019, is an absolutely hypnotic listening experience, according to Full Kali. Atwood magazine describes it as music wrapped in gentle rebellion. Now, before we meet our guest today, I would like to invite you to go to tinyurl.com slash pod, where you will be able to download for free my best-selling book, There to be Seen, From Stage Fright to Stage Presence, where you will discover how to turn your stage nerves into authentic confidence so you can perform at your best even if you are an introvert or you've been out of the game for a while. And now, here's our guest for today. I stand on these two feet, 48 hours so My steps might move a days to where I'd like to be The web is thin you know, it's possible to make a living as an artist, even if you don't have a million streams. You just gotta be kind of creative and lucky and um, and stubborn and willing to sacrifice. A prisoner ball and chain, a grain in a desert dune, praying to the sun for Me and my bandmates have gone back to really where we started, doing pop-up performances in people's backyards. For whatever reason, if you show up with a guitar in your hand and a song to play, people are so open. Stay resilient and do what you need to do to be hopeful and to, and to bounce back. I watch on glowing screens, scrawling pipes of industries. Later we'll strike chords in bars, wonder who's listening. Maybe that's what makes luck work is if you're you know, working really hard and trying to be the best you can be and then something lucky happens and, and you're ready for it. The room is dark and I cannot see, can only feel what's missing. 
Uh, let's welcome to the show today Siri Anlin, aka Humbert, all the way from Minneapolis, USA. Welcome. Welcome, Siri. How are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. It's a sunny day today and a crisp autumn breeze in the air. So doing all right. Lovely. I was just saying to Siri that I was listening to her music just before we started this post podcast interview and I am so impressed not only by the quality of her songs but also by how savvy she must be because I was looking at the uh, Spotify listeners and she's got 400,000 listeners. I'm so impressed. How did you do that? <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, you know, I wish, I wish I knew exactly how, because then I could repeat it and also tell all my friends how it happened. But to be honest, it was sort of, it's a very opaque kind of, uh, veiled process that I don't really know how it works, but, um, I have some guesses, but Yeah, I, I put out a record last August, so a little over a year ago, and I had toured full-time for a few years beforehand without a full record, and so I think that I had kind of organically built up this sort of, you know, small network of people who were excited to hear the recording, and when I finally announced that it was coming out, I think a lot of people pre-saved it. Um, just from, yeah, people that I had met on the road and yeah, I, that's the only thing I can really think of that would have done that or just like complete luck. Well, I wouldn't <laughs> say no one really wants to hear. I wouldn't say complete <laughs> luck because I mean, you are very well accomplished. I mean, you can tell listening to this music that you've been doing this for a long time. Yeah, I really love it. And I do, I, I put a lot of work into it and I really, I take it very seriously, try to have as much fun as possible along the way too. But um, yeah, I guess maybe that's what makes luck work is if you're, you know, working really hard and trying to be the best you can be and then something lucky happens and, you, and you're ready for it when, it when it happens. So yeah, but I don't know, the online algorithms and the streaming numbers, They're really exciting because it means that the music has found a lot of people. And it's also, it feels really random and unpredictable and maybe not necessarily just about the music. So I try to keep that in mind. Okay. And is it translating into revenue for you? Or is it making it possible for you to um, work as a musician full time? Well, I, I was working as a musician full time for the last two years which I also say to people when I'm talking about the business part of things is, you know, it's possible to make a living as an artist, even if you don't have a million streams, you just got to be kind of creative and lucky and, um, and stubborn and willing to sacrifice because living on the road is not an easy lifestyle when you do it full time and definitely having the music go far and wide through like different playlists makes it a lot more viable. Um, but yeah, that all, that all kind of changed really quickly when the pandemic hit um, and like all the shows got canceled because ultimately streaming isn't really a, you know, a reliable revenue source. You do have to 
play shows. So yeah, if that's not possible, yeah, I don't know. What did you do then? Did you start uh, streaming online? I mean, you know, doing uh, live stream concerts. What? How did you manage through the pandemic? To be honest, I went back to one of my favorite side gigs that I had before I was doing full-time music, which is at a garden and landscaping center, an organic gardening shop here in Minneapolis. Um, I love plants and that seemed like a good place to turn to when the pandemic hit. And in Minnesota, where I live, garden stores were declared essential business and essential workers. So it was open the whole time, which was really weird to be the only one of the only people I knew working and was selling flowers. But um, yeah, the otherwise, um, me and my bandmates have gone back to really where we started, which is performing in people's backyards. So um, the last month and all the way, it gets really, really cold in Minnesota. So we won't be able to do it probably starting in November, but we've been doing pop-up performances in people's backyards where we come for 30 minutes and we perform for people and their families. It's, it's private. We kind of tell people, you know, don't invite all your friends, just invite people in your bubble and we'll stand way over here and we'll play songs. We also have been performing fairy tales and folklore because that's another passion of mine. And I think it's especially powerful right now in these really uncertain moments of our lives to turn back to the wisdom of old stories. So we've been doing that almost every night and it's completely acoustic and people have been generous and they're excited to have live music and folklore in their in their backyards. So that's what we've been doing, just kind of back to the roots. Wow, that's, I have to say, that's a great way to this kind of thing that is, is very difficult for, for anyone to deal with. But the way that you managed um, sounds like something I would have wanted to think about. But I really like the idea that you're, that you're also performing folklore and fairy tales. And yeah, I think that would be quite relevant at the moment. But was that always part of your music? Has that always been part of your message, so to speak? It has. I think, um, you know, when I first set out into the world as a young adult, folklore, fairy tales, and folk music were inseparable, and they always have been. And the more I learn, the deeper I study those traditions, the more I understand how interwoven they all are. I think from a perspective of somebody who just came across my music and has never heard it before, they might not notice right away. But a lot of the songs are about fairy tale characters or mythology. And for anyone in my community, they know that I've been telling stories and putting out little zines of fairy tales and performing music all the time. So um, before this point in time, it was sort of behind the scenes going on or more quietly under the surface. And with the pandemic, it was like, well, let's just be explicit about it. These two things are inseparable and they're both equally important. And we're just going to go to backyards and say what we're doing and see what happens. And um, I think that's sort of stemmed from the fact that the music industry itself is in such a moment of upheaval and who knows what the next few years will look like. So it's easy to think outside the box and take risks and not worry too much about if it fits or if people will understand it. 
far away. So yeah, I think at yeah. the at the moment they probably would take anything, anything at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, music, absolutely. yes, please, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But how did the um the love for these things come about? You know, the love for the folklore, for fairy tales, and your love for me- making music. How did it surface in your life? Yeah. Well. Um, in many ways, just because music and stories are around us all the time, depending on your perspective and how you want to look at the world. But I did grow up in the church. My mom is a preacher and, you know, I have my struggles and, you know, anger towards the tradition of Christianity. But, um, I did grow up in a house where music was always happening and a love of stories. And I mean, the old Testament has some truly wild stories in it. Um, and if you think of, you know, sacred texts, it's not that different from folklore. It's just a different, it's just a different way of, um, you know, figuring out who we are through the stories we tell. So yeah, I, I guess I grew up in a house where those two things were really, valued and prevalent, even though, um, I've left the church and am more interested in the old wives tales and the fairies in the forest and what those stories can teach us than I am, you know, the Bible. Right. You would fit right in in Edinburgh, Scotland. (laughs) I have, I have traveled to Edinburgh and, um, it was one of my favorite places I've ever been on planet earth. It's yeah really special place. Yeah, they're absolutely mad about music here, especially anything to do with folk. And um, unfortunately, you know, at the moment they're not playing anything in pubs. We have no music. I um, was thinking in terms of performance, you know, it sounds like it's very important for you. So so I guess um, my question, which I probably know the answer to is, would it be enough to just write music or do you need to perform it? I'm definitely one of those people that needs to perform. I mean, writing it is a hugely therapeutic and healing process. And I really love that part of music. And um, I treat it as a practice, something I just want to keep getting better and better at. And it's often my favorite part of the day is those quiet moments where you have an idea and you sneak away and write it down and like record a little voice memo to yourself so you don't forget. But the process wouldn't be complete if there wasn't some sort of performative aspect to it as well. I feel like to just make music in my home and not go out into the world and offer it up would be sort of counter to who I am. But I I appreciate that people can make music in their basement and not feel like they have to leave. That sounds nice. So, so this must be then something to do with your relationship with your audience or is it because you're telling a story and you want to tell that story to somebody else? Mm, I think it's both. The, the dynamic with an audience as like kind of this multi-faced entity is like really fascinating and uh, strange how, how a room can f- be made up all of all these individuals, but have a personality of its own. I find that very magical, but I also really, really value and miss the conversations I get to have with people before and after shows, sometimes during, <laughs> um, those interactions are what give me a lot of hope 
And it's how I learn. It's how I stay curious about the world, hearing about people and what their lives are like and how they're creating. I, I just love that. I'll, I never get sick of it. So, um, yeah, it's about that. And then also the songs and the stories themselves, it's they're the reason they have, you know, traveled through time and space, um, through generations or just through your own experiences. Um, they need to be shared. I really believe that. So. Yeah, I do it for the songs and for the people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I like how, you know, curiosity is an antidote for judgment. And we we have a lot of judgment going on at the moment. And so that's a nice way of counteracting it, you know. Um, but Yeah, you put that so well. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, have you ever had any challenges, you know, that you've encountered in your journey in terms of performance? Or has it been just easy for you? Oh, it's definitely not just easy, um, but yeah, it depends on the day. I mean, right now I haven't gone on tour for seven months and I miss it a lot. So I, I'm talking very differently than I probably would be if I had just finished a six week tour and was like extremely sleep deprived and like worn down and <laughs> exhausted. But um, I don't mind the hard moments, if that makes sense. I mean, in the moment, it can be really tricky to stay positive and remember why it matters. But I know I've played a lot of dive bars across the U.S. that are, you know, they're sticky, dark, just kind of unnerving spaces where there can be very little respect or regard for women in particular. And I'm lucky that I have bandmates who are awesome and we can go into those spaces and play music. And it feels like not a single person in the bar was listening. And then afterwards you end up having a great conversation with one person and it might be the sound guy or the bartender, but those even just like one interaction is a reminder that, you know, a song is a powerful thing more than we know. And also I take solace in the fact that many of my idols or people that I look up to musicians did their share of time in dive bars and crowded rooms where people weren't listening. So I, I just try to remember that if I feel like no one's listening, then I'm part of a lineage of musicians who felt like no one was listening, but the music still made a difference. Basically what I'm hearing there is that, you know, the important thing is uh, that you're focusing on the people who are listening. I mean, I've had my share of terrible uh, gigs. Uh, actually, the worst one was probably uh, on my birthday many, many, many years ago. After, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> after like I traveled 12 hours to get to the gig, I also had a the flu and my manager forgotten to basically promote. And so basically it was just me and my boyfriend and the manager. <laughs> Dang, that's brutal. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a tough one. <laughs> I was not laughing at the time, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. But sometimes the really, really bad ones are the ones that are the funniest later. Like, I tend to write down in my journal, I'm very like 
I try to be very like on top of journaling while on tour so I don't forget anything. And when I read back on certain stuff that at the time I'm writing and I just sound so miserable and I'm giving all these details and it's awful. But when I read it, I just laugh. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have one of those, but one of the uh, worst times uh, that you would like to share? You don't have to, but if you've got one of these funny ones. <laughs> there was one where I similar to your story I had the flu and I was touring with my boyfriend at the time and we were in a band or a duo together and um, the tour was not going very well and we weren't getting along great and we showed up to the venue and they didn't have a sound system and so we were just gonna like stand in the corner of this like coffee shop bookstore and like try to be loud enough for people to hear And there was like a, a few friends that came to see us that we never got to see. And then a bunch of really loud people who didn't care at all, which is always the worst when you see people who do care, but they can't hear because of other people that like always really hurts. But yeah, so I basically was just puking into the toilet of this store. And then my boyfriend knocked on the door and was like, we got to start. So I just went straight from puking. <laughs> to playing this show is so sad yeah oh. I don't need to go back there but I can smile about it now <laughs> maybe you have to tell us the best time now just so that we can rebalance the best time oh it's hard there's so many bad ones and there's so many good ones which I kind of maybe wish someone had told me when I started touring because on social media it can sometimes look like everyone's having a great time on tour every day and it's really not like that like For every good show you have, there's a really bad one. It kind of, the scales mostly even out, but one really good one. Um, well, we, me and my bandmates did a pop-up show in a backyard this week and it was so magical. The people that um, hosted us, they had this huge grandmother oak tree and they strung it with fairy lights and Um, they had a campfire and the crickets were really loud and the sun was setting over the ridge line. It was out in the country. And so we just played these songs and performed these stories that were just so like excited to be able to be doing together again. And there was only like eight people there, which was perfect. <laughs> and that show, it was really, really magical and made me excited to think about how even in in the midst of the coronavirus, there's so much possibility for collaboration and creativity. And we just have to, you know, honor this time as one of reflection and reckoning and also invitation to try new things. So that's, that's my favorite gig in my mind right now. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you a little bit more about touring. But before I do that, I am fascinated by this idea of pop-up gigs. So um, how do you make them happen? Well, do, you, do you just ask your friends or, you know, what is it like? Yeah, we, well, kind of a variety of a bunch of things. I had the idea to do this maybe um, middle of the summer. And so I kind of sent out an email to family and friends and was like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Would you like us to come to your backyard for like a socially distanced pop-up concert and every like a lot of people were like yes and it was like oh well it was so popular with them maybe I'll post it on social media 
on our Instagram page. So I, I did that. And then a bunch of strangers asked us to do it too. So yeah, kind of, I think it was the right idea at the right time. And it really resonated with people, which is a really fun part about being an artist is staying nimble and thinking about, well, like what's going on in the world right now. And if, if I wasn't the performer, if I was a person who just wanted to engage with music or creativity, like what would I want? And, you know, I sit in the backyard with my housemates and my boyfriend around a fire. And it's like, man, I wish, I wish we could just have a little concert here right now. So yeah, just kind of trying to figure out what people will like yeah that's a really good way of putting it because i think uh, a lot of the time we get caught up in ourselves and we can't see beyond you know us and actually if you want to be successful in anything you need to think about the listener the customer the other person you know yeah so. yeah and just stay light on your feet i think it's important to have a plan and to have goals of what you want to do and then to be willing to you know, change those plans a little bit or just throw it out the window completely. I think it's so easy to get attached to what we want or what we're visualizing when it doesn't exist yet. So how, how do we bring things into the real world and make them really happen instead of just in our imagination and I like it. So basically, you know, you're accepting what is, you know, the situation as it is, but at the same time, you're imagining what you'd like, and then you're kind of making it up and you're manifesting it in your reality. Trying to. Or trying. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's enough to, uh, to believe first that it is possible and give it a go and then stay open to the outcome and see what happens. But it's much better than, you know, getting all depressed and being like, oh, doom and gloom. The you, the world is, you know, at, the, at its end and yeah, might as well give up and all that kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah, I feel like resilience is so, that's the message I feel like I'm getting from all sides right now is like, stay resilient and do what you need to do to be hopeful and to and to bounce back. And that's not to say the world isn't really heartbreaking It always has been, and it feels especially acute right now, but, um, you know, humans are resilient. Humans do adapt. That's like, you know, that's what makes us who we are. So we're not different from the generations that came before us. And we have to, we have to figure out ways to, yeah, to get through life and do it with joy. And It's like that song, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. <laughs> yeah, yep. <laughs> Or at least, you know, let's hope it doesn't kill us. Yes. Let's hope it makes us stronger. Yeah. No, I see what you're saying. And I mean, you know, we call these unprecedented times, but, you know, there has been a lot of other times in history where we have been faced with cataclysmic uh, change, you know, threatening change. And our ancestors have fought. And because they fought, we are here. So we just have to do the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I think we had it quite easy for a while there, you know, with periods. We really of, did. Of yeah. Peace. And we still do, you know, that's the other weird thing and humbling thing to reflect on is even in the midst of all this, yeah, cataclysmic change and what can feel like a really pessimistic future, I I'm still so lucky. I have so much to be grateful for and there's so much 
to fight for. Yeah, there's so much to hope for. So just because we didn't really finish talking about touring, even though, you know, right now it's not happening, but I'm sure that will happen again. What's your favorite thing about it? And what's your least favorite thing about touring for those that maybe haven't done it yet? Yeah, my favorite thing about touring is that it's a really unique way um, to travel. I think people are, for whatever reason, if you show up with a guitar in your hand and a song to play, people are so open and they want to tell you their story and they want to invite you into their home for breakfast and stay up all night talking. And um, I've traveled as a musician and I've traveled just, you know, with myself, my backpack, and there's great things about both. But I found that with a guitar, I'm invited into people's lives in a really um, beautiful way. So that's my favorite part. And um, my least favorite part is related to my favorite part. It's really hard to... Um, see so much and feel so connected to people and then be gone. That's a really, um, that's something I wrestle with because community is so important and roots, um, showing up, continuing to show up and, and to engage, um, long, like with longevity is so important, I think for the future and the world that we need to build. And as a musician, you're, just rolling through, you know, you visit a community that already exists and you are part of it for a brief moment of time and yeah, a brief moment in time. And then you, and then you carry on to the next place. And I know that that's an important role to play and that, that people coming in and out is part of community as well. Um, I sometimes feel sad that I travel so often that my own deep roots sometimes feel like they have nowhere to go. Um, but that obviously has shifted now that I've been home for seven months. This is the longest I've been home in about five years. Wow. Okay. But when you were traveling quite a lot, you know, did you find that your relationship with your bandmates perhaps was a kind of way to root yourself or did, did the relationship become really strong or did it suffer? What happened there? Kind of all of the above happens on tour, at least at least a DIY tour, which sounds like you've done a little bit of or maybe a lot. I don't know. But it's like one day you're like, wow, our friendship has never been stronger. And then the next day you're like, I want to kill this person. They're so annoying. I just want alone time. Um, I think it's especially true of DIY touring. You know, for the first few years of this project, Humbird, I did all of our own booking. I was our manager and my bandmates were just so great and willing to roll with anything. And we ended up in some truly wacky places. Like we played music in places that were definitely, you know, you couldn't make it up. It was so strange. And we slept on a lot of couches and floors that were not clean and um, just very interesting places. And when you're in those environments that are really unpredictable and you don't know how much you're going to get paid, you don't know if you're going to get any sleep that night, it does, it, it's a really intense situation to be in with people. So you find out really fast 
if you're bandmates and you like if you're all driving together and if you're not you got to find other people but me and my bandmates um pete corsfeld and pat keen we've been touring now for two and a half years together and we have a good we have a good time and we're part of wise because we're not afraid to be upfront with each other so we we let each other know when <laughs> when something's a problem and we also go for hikes so we will wake up early and drive to a place where we can go hike for a while before the show and I think for all three of us it's a really centering time and some quiet time before we're surrounded by a bunch of people again. Well, that that sounds very healthy. I I wish that my um that when I had a band and I, at the moment I don't, but when I had my bands, um, that I had thought about those. But also, I think you know the people that were in my band, they were quite different. You know, we were quite different from each other, and I found it quite difficult to actually gel. Being a little bit of an introvert, you know, um, it's it can be harder. But you hear a lot about people hopping from band to band to band to band, you know, people leaving bands all the time, and it can get quite tiring. It sounds like you've found the right match for you. Well, yeah, for now, and I, it's always been, our understanding is that the band will change. It's never been like, it's the three of us forever, the end. Like, it's a, we've had other members that have come and gone, and sometimes, you know, a band member can't make it. And so we find we have friends who will fill in. And I think part, partly because it's always kind of been a hands off. It's like, if you can do this, I'd love to have you. And if you can't, we'll figure something else out. I think that approach has allowed for enough flexibility that people, whether it's Pete or Pat or someone who plays with us, sometimes people feel like they're not stuck or that they have to do it which changes. I, I know I've been in bands where I felt like I had to do it and it really sucks <laughs> when you feel that way and you're away from home. You're like really far outside your comfort zone generally. So if you're not gelling with people and you don't get the comfort of like your favorite mug <laughs> in the morning <laughs> for a cup of coffee or whatever, it can, can really, yeah, wear down at you. Yeah. So it sounds like it's uh, when you have less pressure, more freedom to choose, then it's easier to stay because it's a choice rather than something you have to do. Being um, the leader of the band, and I believe that all the other members are men. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. So what's that like, you know, for you? Yeah, I think um, it works out fine for us. And I think it just depends on the people. I think there's something about just three people that can be really nice because there it doesn't feel like a crowd. It's just the three of you. And if someone goes off, then there's just two of you. And if you need to go off, it's pretty easy to like be alone. Um, but I have played in other ensembles with women and um, it's great. It's always really refreshing to just be around other like strong femmes like like women non-binary folks I think it's just important to make sure that your band doesn't all look one way and share one experience because that's a big part of touring is you get to know your bandmates so well and you learn a lot from them and the experiences I have collaborating with people who 
are different than I am are really special and sacred. And I'm so grateful to have been able to do it because you really, you really get to know someone when you're in a car with them for three months. Yeah. <laughs> There's no hiding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're like a family, you know, that's like your second family. Yeah, definitely. I've had occasions when I was, I would be scared of telling people what um, I was feeling just for, you know, for fear of hurting their feelings and then having a bad reaction. And, but that doesn't work, you know, that doesn't work. I mean, have you ever found those situations or is it all play, plain sailing? Oh, no, no. There's totally complicated situations that come up and there are miscommunications. It's, ne it's never smooth sailing when you're interacting with other people. You know, everyone's a wild card and anything could happen. I think generally... I have had a good intuitive sense of who I want to play with because it is because I tour so much when I meet someone and I hear their music and I really like it and it feels like we could collaborate and be in a band together. It's like, well, do I think I could, you know, live with you in a car for a few months? And I think your gut reaction to that question is really clear usually. And I, um, generally just listen to it and have strong boundaries with people who I maybe don't think that that would be a good fit, but I still appreciate them. I appreciate their friendship and, and their music. You know, someone can be an awesome person and a great musician and you wouldn't be a good fit in the car together. So you don't need to force it. And um, I think when stuff comes up, you know, cause they do even with people you love dearly and, and, um, want to keep touring with it's the the idea of just being direct is huge and I've gotten I think I've gotten better at it over the years and I still have a long way to go because sometimes it feels easier to just be nice and not say anything but I've learned I'm learning over and over and over again that the sooner you're like hey that bothers me or like hey that did not feel very good when you said that is um better <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> in terms of, you know, songwriting, are you usually able to um, write your songs on the road or do you need to be in a place for a long time to be able to uh, really get into your soul? Yeah, I, I don't tend to write much on the road just because it's really hectic. You know, when you're um, me and my bandmates, we borrow my dad's truck and we drive ourselves and I'm doing all of the we don't have a tour manager like that's me and. So we kind of wake up in the morning, go for a hike, drive to the venue, sound check, play, talk with people afterwards, stay up late with these new friends that we met and then go to sleep and then do it all again. And especially in the States, the drives are really long. Like it can be, it can be a whole day, you know, eight, nine hours drive. And then next day, eight, nine hour drive. And you're just slowly moving across the country. But, um, so I just find that generally on tour, I don't have time to write, but I do love to write, um, while I'm, uh, traveling or away from home. So often when I'm not touring with my bandmates, I will, you know, rent a cabin up North or go for a weekend to visit a friend. And I always bring a guitar because it's really fun to write. 
Yeah, absolutely. I actually fi- feel absolutely the same. The best times for me are always when uh, there's some kind of retreat from normal life and I can just switch off all social media, switch off the computer, nothing to do but write a song. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, social media is such a distraction. It's really hard to cultivate a practice of creativity when your phone's like dinging at you all the time. And now that you've been at home for so long, how has that affected your songwriting? How has it affected my songwriting? I think that my um, my songwriting has been very domestic. <laughs> it's been very focused on what's around me. But I have done a challenge with a few friends Um over the course of the last few months to write a song every day. Actually, I did, um, Sarah Irvine, who you had on your show, Sarah was part of a group that I was in and we all wrote a song every single day. And most of the songs I wrote were complete trash. They're so bad. Sarah, on the other hand, wrote great songs. She always does. But um, just the idea of having to write a song every day, even if it's really bad. Yeah, I I was saying that's a great idea because um, actually I have exactly the same thought. I thought I'm going to do that in December when it's really, really dark. The sun basically doesn't come up um, and there's nothing to do. And if we're going to have COVID, which we will, then I'm thinking, well, maybe I should just write a song a day. So excellent idea. (laughs) that's awesome well maybe you me and sarah should do it together oh i would love that you know i am i'm so impressed by sarah's music she's oh god the voice of an angel that lady i know did she so i don't know i don't know if she mentioned how she and i know each other but i was traveling in scotland and i was at this hostel and i heard a voice like an angel's voice and I dropped what I was holding and I walked towards it through this building and it was Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been friends ever since. So that's how I know her. Like I just was drawn to her voice. I was just like jaw dropped, like eyes probably bulging out. Cause I was like, what is that gorgeous like sound? Like where is that coming from? I know. And not only she's got this beautiful voice, but also she's just angelic in herself. I mean, I, the what I experienced of her afterwards, I was talking to my boyfriend about. It. I was like, "Oh my god, I've met this girl, and she's like got the the most beautiful voice, and she's so nice, and yeah. <laughs> and she's beautiful, yeah. and oh my god." <laughs> yeah, she's a really, really uh, special human. Yeah. I love that woman. Yeah, I just wish there were more of her songs on Spotify because I know we gotta pressure her. We have to peer pressure her because the world needs to hear her music. It's really important. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um, I guess what I wanted to then ask you uh, on a similar uh, note is if you have a, um, well, a favorite singer songwriter, a woman, preferably, but not necessarily, that has really inspired you. There's so many amazing women songwriters in the world. That inspires me alone, just that there are so many. Um, Besides Sarah Irvine, who's the best. I think one of the um, more influential writers in... Well, I'm trying to think. There's so many from, like, other generations, but there's so many great songwriters, like, 
putting out music right now. I really love Courtney Marie Andrews. She is a songwriter um, based out of Seattle, and she put out a record maybe two maybe two years ago now called May Your Kindness Remain. That is just like every song is a home run and she's really young and it's so fun to engage with a young writer's work as they're putting it out. Um, I just love like the anticipation of seeing what they're going to do next. Um, but probably like the biggest influence on me has been Joni Mitchell. Um, I don't love all of her music. I sometimes really struggle with it, but she was an early, you know, artist that I was, you know, turned on to at a young age and she just experiments and she goes anywhere and she's such a poet. And I think she really opened up the world for me of like what was possible with a voice and a guitar. So. Wonderful. Yeah. Yes, I, I can agree with you. I really like some of her songs. I mean, she's obviously a genius of uh, of songwriting, but yeah, I don't like every single song, but definitely I can say uh, someone to be inspired by. Okay, so I um, am inspired by you and I want to hear uh, your music live because I think there's something special about that. So do you think you would like to sing us a song tonight? Sure, I got my guitar right here. I'm all ready. I wrote it right here in this room in January. <laughs> it's kind of ironic because it was January 2020 and I was feeling really optimistic about the year. Like there was so I was looking forward to so much. I was so excited about a lot of new first things for me. Um, I was going to be coming to the UK and Ireland on tour for the first time and I just, you know, put out my first record and people were listening to it. So it was just feeling like, man, like anything could happen. Like 2020 is going to be like the best year yet. So it's kind of funny to sing this song because there is such an optimism to it. And it's like just hilarious because like obviously who had any idea about what was going to unfold? Well, a lot of scientists and activists did, but... I don't think any of us were prepared for 2020, but this is what I wrote on like January 3rd of this year. Um, yeah. And one funny thing about it is that in the second verse, there's a line about um, eating breakfast in bed and no rules and stuff. And it, it, I stole it from my roommate who was walking up the stairs right over here. And I, sh I think she thought she was home alone and she was talking to herself and she said breakfast in bed no parents no rules <laughs> and I just I was laying in bed just laughing about it and then it came it snuck its way into this song yeah. this is January <laughs> another year for the hopeless dreamers stepping across the Milky Way like stones in a was frozen so we went
eating breakfast in bed, breaking all the rules. The future came with the new year, stars in the rearview mirror. It's all come to pass, we're just standing here. So stay a while, warm your hands, we're all on our way. Beautiful. Let's hope we come around again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was really a pleasure to have you um, on the show. Really inspiring. You've got such a nice, positive energy. I love it. Oh, thanks, Elisa. It was really nice talking with you. You ask awesome questions. <laughs> That was my guest, whom I'd like to thank once again for coming to the show. Every week I'll be chatting to fantastic indie performers to uncover what it really takes to be a female independent singer-songwriter in this day and age and how we can support one another to keep shining our light onto the world through our creative endeavors. So make sure you don't miss out by subscribing to Dare to be Seen and follow us on socials at tinyurl.com slash dare to be seen pod. That's all for this episode of Dare to be Seen. Join the conversation on facebook.com slash groups slash dare to be seen podcast and help create an empowering community of independent female singer-songwriters who support one another. For show notes, resources and information on today's episode, visit tinyurl.com slash dare to be seen pod. And remember... To shine your own unique light onto the world, it needs it. Mm -hmm.